ladies and gentlemen, to season four, episode six of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Mitch Vosberg. Flanked up with me to my right is, well, you guessed it. It's uh, Mr. Christian Brewer. Christian, how are we feeling on this Monday? I feel wonderful, man. Wellness day, no school. Can't really complain about that. Obviously, there's still work to be done. You know, it's it's very rare that you get a true day off, if you know what I'm saying. But it's nice to kind of kick back and relax. We got a little bit of snow, it looks like, last night. Um, yeah, man. Exciting time. Lots of sports to talk about. Absolutely. I think, uh, Gay, let's just, uh, you know, uh, put a perilous scatter here. Uh, the day the last episode dropped, there was a trade in the NFL. We discussed it a little bit with our last uh you see mock draft version 1.0 about what the Colts would do with quarterback. Well, I'm pretty sure now, just off that alone, that mock draft can get thrown out the mm-hmm. damn window. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts acquired Carson Wentz from the Philadelphia Eagles exchange for a third round in this year's draft and a 2022 second round pick. Christian, just out of the gate, what are your initial thoughts on this deal? I mean, I think the Eagles didn't get enough back. Uh, this is a guy in Carson Wentz who you took number two overall. You sold the farm to take it number two overall. And the best you can get for him is a is a second and a condi- or a third, a conditional second that can turn into a first. I mean, come on, man! This is a dude that when you drafted him, the plan was for him to be your franchise quarterback, and for a year or so, it looked like he was going to be. But now you just throw all that out the window. It just don't make no sense to me. Um, Colts, obviously, this is a a nice deal for them. Obviously, you didn't have to you didn't have to sell a farm. And number two, you get him back with Frank Reich, who was the guy who worked all that magic with him when he was in Philadelphia. So I think this is a win for the Colts. I think that you now can pair a contending team with a quarterback who is at least on paper able to lead that contending team as opposed to having to start it with a rookie quarterback. So great move for the Colts. I just find it hilarious when you go back to the 2016 draft. The teams were the top two picks, straight at both their picks. Jared Goff went one. He got dealt uh, with uh, two firsts and a third for Matthew Stafford. And then Carson Wentz gets dealt for a third, and you could mention the conditional second next year, it could turn to a first. This 2016 quarterback class is probably going to be remembered as probably, I don't want to yeah. say overhyped because obviously they're still playing productive in the NFL, but it's like these aren't the guy, the franchise pieces I think everyone assumed they'd be. Right, they thought that these guys would be, especially the teams that traded so much to get them, man. Uh, you, you just have to look back and, and think about it, you know, was these trades work, worth it? You look at some other big picture trades like that, how about Washington trading up to get Robert Griffin III? I mean, look how that turned out. So, the next time you want to sell the farm for the number one overall pick, I think you should keep that in the back of your mind. Absolutely, and uh, for next week's episode, I will I will break down the trade tree of how Wentz went to Philly and how that kind of had some ripple effects across the league. But, obviously, I totally agree with you. Um, things in Philadelphia are going to get way worse before they're going to get remotely better. They are in a super tough spot with their cap space. Obviously, Wentz has now the largest dead cap hit in NFL history with around $33 million last I saw. So you're paying a guy $33 million to get out of your organization and play for a team that, let's face it, I think right now... They're probably the front runners to win the AFC South next year. Mm-hmm. If it, now, I'm saying that if they can pass your left tackle spot, which rumor has it, they could be in play for or for Orlando Brown. You never know. That's that's what I heard today. But obviously, um, you know, we'll see this season if this pans out for Indy. And obviously, hopefully, um Indy can do something with that uh draft capital package they received. Yeah. So it's just wild if they go back to the twenty sixteen quarterback class and just here we are five years later now, and... Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, Wentz trying to lead the Colts to the promised land, and uh, Goff's with the Lions. Yeah. Which one of those in those scenarios, if you thought five years ago, would be more realistic? Goff to the Lions or Wentz with the Colts? I mean, if you think that... If you rephrase that, and instead of go- Wentz to the Colts, you say Wentz on a contender, Goff on a non-contender, I think that scenario makes sense. But, yeah. I mean, this is like bizarre world type stuff. I was reading Dave Burkett... And he said that he had a phrase in one of his articles, I don't remember exactly which one, but he said we were seeing the NBAification of the NFL where star players are now starting to force trades. And it's like, you know, that kind of makes sense. I like the way he worded that, and I think that that uh, 
that angle of how it was being kind of NBA-ified, whereas now if a guy isn't unhappy, he can now force a trade. It's like, wow. Sign of the times, man. Sign of the times. So you mentioned the trades and all that jazz. Let's talk about the state of the NFL quarterback. So, Christian, maybe you have a list of some NFL quarterbacks for us. Yes, yes. So, yes. so what I'm doing now is we'll, Christian, Christian will name off a quarterback. We'll decide whether they're going to stay with their team or we'll try and predict which team they will play with. Again, we are recording this on Monday, February 22nd, 2021. Obviously, things can happen by the time we record this, by the time this gets released on Thursday afternoon, which is that case. If you listen to this on Thursday afternoon, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, but, yeah, Christian, let's get to this quarterback list. Stay at the NFL quarterback. Number one. Number one quarterback. James Richard Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he stays. I do, too. I don't think, honest. I think he fits that system, too. Look, when he's, when he's healthy, they're productive. I mean, yes, in that division, you could argue he's probably the fourth best quarterback now with mm-hmm. Stafford in there. However, with the roster he has, he's the perfect system fit. I think, honestly, he's... When I think of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think of a player of a mold similar to what Ryan Tannehill is capable of. Yes. He's a guy who can hand the ball off. He's mobile. He can make the throws he needs to make. He's not going to be flashy. He's not going to be, you know, a big cannon arm of guys like like Mahomes or Josh Allen would be. But for what San Francisco wants to do, he is the ideal fit, similar to what Tannehill is in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So for me, Garoppolo stays. Next season, we can talk a little different if things don't shake out well for San Fran, because that division is going to be a 14 dogfight. But as of right now, I think Jimmy G stays with San Francisco. Okay, number two, Sam Darnold. As of right now, I think he's... Last I heard, the Jets are going to evaluate the quarterback mark before they make make a decision. Personally, I feel the Jets have way too many holes to fill uh, to really move on from a quarterback right now. However, when I was home this weekend, I watched uh, I watched tape on all the top six quarterback prospects in the draft this year. And sitting at two, you know, if you can move Darnold and get some later picks, you already have two firsts. If you can move Darnold and get some later picks, because, look, I, I think Darnold getting a first is out of question at this point. Right. No, I, I think if you saw the packages we saw... Obviously, look at all the Stafford package. Stafford is 12 years in the league. You look at his numbers, L.A. probably overpaid, so be it. You look at the Wentz package. That's a guy who was on pace for MVP before his knee absolutely went kaplooey, and we saw the footage of his knee, like, gyrating. Yeah. Terrifying. I I honestly don't see anything more than than a third for Darnold. I think a fourth would be probably what it's going to end up being. That's just my assumption. But I do see Darnold probably getting moved on at this point. Who the team is, obviously me being a fan of this rant, I'm about to go on here down in a couple minutes here, I think Pittsburgh could be a fit. Washington could be a fit at quarterback. There's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. There's a lot of teams in play. Denver could be a possibility where yeah. you can see maybe them swap Drew Locke. And if I'm right on that, holy smokes, that's two quarterback deals this season I'm going to get right. And man, But I doubt it's going to happen. I'd say he gets dealt. Word two, I think, is to be seen based off well the, the unpredictability of the season off, season off season so far. But I would say Pittsburgh's a front runner. Denver could be a front runner. The Saints, maybe you could trickle in. Washington could be a fit. But look for a team that already has, has, has an established defense, established roster to take a gamble on him with a mm-hmm. mid-round pick. Derek Carr. I was thinking about this today, honestly. Um, I think he stays. I don't think a team wants to take on that contract. I don't think the Raiders want to swallow that dead cap right now. I think next offseason we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think them trying to trade up and get one, get you know a Trey Lance, a Justin Fields, a Zach Wilson, or a Trevor Lawrence is out of the question. They're sitting in the draft right now. Now, I do feel if he could sit for a year, I think if Gruden can just mold him properly, Mac Jones could be a fit in there. But I think he's a day two quarterback, not a day one. Yes. That would be a reach. But then when Gruden, I mean, we've seen their track record with some players, like with Cleveland Farrell going forward. Yeah, no kidding. Dave Arnett going first round, which I call that, by the way. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, but I think Carr's going to stay one more year. Unless somehow Mariota, they feel confident with him, which when he stepped in last year, I thought he looked really well. Played really well. But I think Carr's going to uh, stay put with the Raiders right now. All right, I got a couple more for you. Throw it at me. A couple more for you. Number one, let's see here. We've talked about this. Now, we've talked about this guy. We talked about it, I think it was three weeks ago. 
but there's still conversations happening. Do you think Aaron Rodgers gets moved? Why are we talking about this? No. Next question. Okay, uh, Deshaun Watson. I think Carolina's a front runner. I think the fact he requested it, I think Houston's going to try and pull something off here, but they're going to keep any information very close to the vest. Yes. Because like we mentioned last week, they're not going to move him unless they get the price tag they want. So I think Carolina's the front runner. Jets are the question, in my opinion. San Francisco, I think the roster is built well enough they could make a real big push if they move Jimmy G uh, and a couple firsts with it. Um, I think it's on the Carolina and San Francisco. I don't buy Miami. I, I understand why people have a thing with Tua, but also... That's a rookie getting thrown into a situation that probably wasn't as good as the situation he had in college. Yes. That's not a knock on the Dolphins. That's kind of saying something about Bama and saying how Miami's still a little ways away from really moving draft capital around to get where they want to be. I think it's Carolina or San Francisco. It's one of those two teams. I don't buy the Bears. If they do, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy would be out the door within two years, if not this offseason. Now, this is looking at our rundown. I wanted to segue. My last one for you. Then Roethlisberger. You had to throw it at me, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I think either he's for Pittsburgh or he's at home with the family. I don't see another team taking him on. I honestly don't. Uh, well, we'll get into the next segment. But, um, yeah, it's either he bends for Pittsburgh or, you know, he's just waiting on the phone call to get to Canton probably second ballot at this point. Mm-hmm. So now I mentioned that, we're going to bring out some new segments. We're going to have, each of us will have a chance. We'll do this weekly or whatever we want to do it. Just to sit down, just to talk about something that we personally uh, want to talk about. So, for Mitch's Corner this week, we're going to talk about a quarterback that um, I grew up loving watching. And that would be uh, Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger. Dear Big Ben, I just want to say thank you for all you've done so far. My first real exposure to football couple Super Bowls I watched here and there, but the first game I really remember watching growing up was the AFC Divisional round against the Indianapolis Colts at the RCA Dome. I remember with about a minute 20 left, Jerome Bettis is trying to pound in for a second touchdown to Gary Brackett, pops the ball free, and he's running it back. You look to your left, you look to your right, you grab the ankle, the man with the ball, and bring him down. Mike Vanajak misses the field goal. Beat Denver next week. He beats Yale for the Super Bowl. Terrific. Couple years later, it's Pittsburgh in Arizona, and Ben leaves an incredible drive. Leads an incredible drive with in triple coverage with Santonio Holmes. It's one of the most iconic Super Bowl catches. Period. And then a couple years later, what happened? Super Bowl forty-five against Green Bay. It happened what happened. However, the next little run was unique. But eventually they brought in some younger guys. They brought in guys like Antonio Brown was a six-round pick. Mm-hmm. They developed him into, honestly, in my opinion, statistically, the one of, if not the best wide receivers of the 2010s. Yeah. You can make the case for Megatron and Julio, but Megatron, a lot of stuff, early 2000s. Anyway, you also brought in Le'Veon Bell, a second-round pick. It was great. The killer, the three, the three bees, the killer bees. Killer bees. They were gonna take over the NFL until they didn't. The defense obviously is now built to a way where it's one of the top three in the league. Obviously, Blavion didn't want to be there. They said it was because of Ben. AB didn't want to be there because it was Ben. I gave Roethlisberger, you know, the benefit of the doubt. Because let's face it, he's got two Lombardis to those guys, none. And I think we've seen when they left Pittsburgh, things have been the same for either player. Obviously, Le'Veon got signed in with the Jets, and now he is uh, not making that kind of money anymore. And he was uh, spent time in Kansas City. Do I really need to get into what happened with Antonio Brown off the field once he left Pittsburgh? Do I really need to dive into that right now? Because that's been well established. Yes. I'm really glad to see that he's got his life back on track and hoisting on the Barty Trophy. Now let's flip, now let's go back to 2009 week two. I'm sorry, 2019 week two against Seattle. I remember watching that with my with one of my really good friends, Brian Steele. Ben goes to throw, and all of a sudden he's holding his elbow, grimacing in pain. I thought, oh no, it's Terry Bradshaw all over again. His career's done. Has the surgery. I see he's got zip in the ball. Great, awesome, amazing. 
However, I think the past couple of years, they probably should have tried to invest in a quarterback in the future. They thought it would be Mason Rudolph. Um, spoiler alert, he ain't it. No, he's garbage. I wouldn't call him garbage. I thought he looked better against Cleveland Week 17. but Yeah. But, man, I'll tell you what. I was just happy to see Ben come back and play this season. And I'll tell you what. The first 10, 11 weeks, it was a great time to be a Steelers mm-hmm. fan. The way that defense was humming their first-round pick in 2020. Ronald was all-pro in 2019. And Mika Fitzpatrick, probably one of the best center field safeties in the league. They brought back three first-team all-pro players from 19 to defense in 20. That defense was terrifying. And obviously a couple ACL tears kind of ruined the whole thing. However, the run game wasn't there. The O-line was regressing. It was all put on the shoulders of Ben Roethlisberger. And here we are sitting in February, knowing this team collapsed. And lost five of the last six. Ben, the first 11 games, 22 touchdowns to four picks. I thought, holy smokes, he's right in pace where he was 19 when he led the league in passing yards over Mahomes' MVP season, by the way. He beat Mahomes in passing yards. The end of that season, I'm not going to lie. My, I, my old roommate has a chair in our dining room. And that chair is bent out of my anger from that Cincinnati Bengals game. The offense was catered to him perfectly to a bunch of five-yard curls and no run game, no play action, no bootlegs to preserve his very fragile, large body. Watching him try to throw a football down the field last year, this past season, was as excruciating as shoving toothpicks down my toenails. This was not the same Ben Roethlisberger as we've seen before. Father Time has caught up to him. And... You what somehow Pittsburgh manages to still win the AFC North. They get the playoffs against Cleveland. But I think we knew I think I knew going into the season this was their last really big big last gasp to win a Super Bowl with the Big Ben. And then the first snap of that Cleveland game hit. And I still thought, you know what, if Ben could turn around, there's a chance. And then Ben threw three first-half interceptions. And at that point, it, it, I think everybody knew, it's time for a change of the guard. It's over. It's done. Mm-hmm. But now, Ben wants to play another year. Kevin Colbert, GM, says, yeah, he's a quarterback for now. There's a $41 million cap hit, the largest cap hit of any player in the NFL this year because his last year was mega deal. Cam Hayward just got his deal restructured today to free up $7 million. Ben said he played for free. Put your money where your mouth is then. Put your money where your mouth is. You're that or just seriously just retire at this point because I think everyone saw what they saw enough last year. That offense was catered to him. That offense has always been catered to him for the past 10 years. They've brought a great talent that has not meshed well. I get there's outside reasons, but at the end of the day, there should have been probably one more than Borgie Trophy in that case. They should be a three-time Super Bowl champion, without doubt. And here we are, February 2021. And this is what we get. I know when I talk about Lions, or some of the people on the teams that say, make the playoffs is great. But Pittsburgh, there's expectation to be higher. There's expectation to be one of these last four teams or this one last two teams standing. And in that playoff game this year, when we all knew, as Steelers fans, this could be the last gasp, we're down 28 nothing at the first quarter. 28 to nothing. This is how it's end. It has to be nowhere in Pittsburgh. It has to happen sooner rather than later. Everybody knows it. It's no secret. That defense is so good. And it got wasted this year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely wasted. Because father time is caught up. To a quarterback in his late 30s, who off the field has had his issues to the man who has the same amount of Lombardi trophies as sexual assault allegations, and has crashed his motorcycle at the same time early in his career. Who's had his own stretches in the off in off seasons? Yet criticizes his own teammates for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Ben, thank you for all you've done, but politely, just wrapping the sunset already. It's been a great round watching you play. It's been a great time being a Steelers fan with you with the helm. But enough is enough. Mm-hmm. 
it was fun watching the first 11 games go 11 and 0. Winning, I don't, I'm sorry, losing, I don't know where. And then all of a sudden, the collapse. I get Baltimore's rivalry game. But with all, a lot of these starters hurt with COVID, you should have put up more than 19 points in that team. That game should have been a, at least a touchdown game. But no, Baltimore, with RG3 and Trace McSorley quarterback, kept that game tight for 60 minutes. Washington. Okay, I get it. We knew what they were at the end of the year. Not better than probably the record showed. They won the NFC East at under 500. That still should have been a win. Mm-hmm. That Cincinnati game, week 15, the game where it's breaking furniture. His throws first half were just absolutely pathetic. I get he had one interception, but there should have been four. It was just absolutely weird to watch. That game against Indy. Great second half. That was his last great half of football. Didn't play week 17 against Cleveland. Wild card round. Yeah, he threw for 500 yards and four tutties. But that was garbage time after the first quarter. He also said the fact that when Marquis Pouncey retired, he wasn't going to break another center. He retired. You going to stick to your word on that? Are you going to? You say you play for free? So what's it going to be? Are you going to play for free? Are you going to take a massive pay cut? Or are you going to retire? It's one or the other. You ain't getting $41 million this year. There's no way. No way. So either put your money where your mouth is or get out. That's been Mitch's Corner. <laughs> that was deep. My hands are a little sweaty now. <laughs> so, Chris, I'll give you your corner. What do you want to talk about, buddy? I, I, I mean, obviously, it would be hard to top what I just did. Oh, but... absolutely. And I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be as long-winded. I don't think that I necessarily have as much to say. But I'd like to take something that I'm passionate about. Uh, that would be Michigan basketball. Now, if you tuned in, if you turned your television on at 1 o'clock on CBS last or yesterday, I guess, with this being recorded, you watched one of the best basketball games of the season. Michigan took out Ohio State. It was incredible. As somebody who absolutely dreads anytime Michigan and Ohio State are using the same sentence, anytime other than when they're on the hardwood, I was looking forward to yesterday. I was enjoying myself. You know, as someone who had moderate expectations, who expected Michigan to finish in the top half of the Big Ten, but not anywhere, I mean, fifth maybe, I know that, you know, you want to get into, like, tournament standings. I didn't think they'd be a team that would get a double bye to the quarterfinals. I thought this was a team that had a ceiling of being number five because that's what they showed last year. Franz Wagner, I mean, a lot of people loved what they saw from him last year. I really didn't. I mean, you could see the potential. He's a six six foot nine, basically two guard. He's a good wing. Isaiah Livers has injury trouble. Um, didn't have a clue what we were getting in Mike Smith or Shawnee Brown. Eli Brooks was consistent. Never going to be a world beater. And then obviously the freshman. I mean, the the only thing I knew about him were the stars attached to their name on twenty four seven. But what I saw yesterday, Mitch, is a team that can win the national championship. That's a team that, now you, you look like you want to laugh right now, but to me, that's a team that can win the national championship. That's a team that doesn't allow opponents to go on big runs. And that's the one thing everybody looks for in March. Okay, there's two things. There's experienced guards, and there's teams that prevent big runs. There are teams that prevent momentum swings. You know what I'm saying? Where if when the when the arrow starts to point in the other direction, they right the ship. And a lot of times that goes hand in hand with having having experienced guards. Michigan's guards. Brooks. Smith. Shondi's a win. Okay, but you still have Livers, you have Austin Davis. Shondi granted, I don't think he's played in the NCAA tournament, but there's a hundred games of basketball there. There's the experience part of it. Ohio State is a dang good basketball team. They're put together really well. They've got it too where they've got the big guy in Liddell. They've got the dynamite guard in Dwayne Washington. And they've got the shooter in Justin Arns. Justin Arns did nothing yesterday. Because Michigan defends the perimeter so well. Anytime Dwayne Washington hit a perimeter three, it was because because he's an excellent shooter. It's because he was able to get through the, the contest of the Wolverine defense. So... The Wolverines did not allow a run. I think it was 
a run above maybe 6-0 uh, yesterday. That's impressive. They had a punch. They had a counter punch every time the number 14 punched them in the mouth. Now, granted, I don't think they've played a team of Gonzaga's caliber or, or Baylor's caliber. But this is a team that looks very capable of competing in March and being one of the four teams that's left standing on the final weekend of the tournament. Christian's Corner stamped it, locked it, triple stamped it, no erases, Michigan to the final four. All right. So now let's talk about college basketball. You and I are big fans of the Mid-American Conference, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it just a little bit. First of all, who do you think come out of that sucker and uh, get in the NCAA tournament berth? For the men's? For the men's. Jeez. That's hard to say because I know, and I think you may agree with me, on which team has the highest ceiling in this bunch. Ohio. Because of Jason Preston and Ben Vanderplas and that one-two dynamic that they have. And they're surrounded by shooters. However, they've struggled with COVID. And then, you know, when you're coming off of those long layoffs, it's been tough for them to really get their feet under them. Bowling Green would have been my pick at the beginning of the year, but they've struggled. They've kind of fallen off a cliff, I feel like. Yeah. Bit. So Smart Money's on Toledo. But you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ohio. If they play the Mid-American Conference Tournament, if they play it, give me the Bobcats. I'll take Akron. With Lauren Christian Jackson, yeah. I'll take Akron personally. Um, I think it's going to come down probably Akron and Ohio in the tournament game. I think Toledo, I haven't seen a total enough consistency. I think the last couple Saturdays we've seen them go. Uh, mm. Buffalo, no, Buffalo hung them in the title on Friday. Obviously, Rackets pulled away late, but... Buffalo can hang in there, but I've just, based on what I've seen so far this year, I'll take the zips. And you know, it's difficult to tell because I think it's hilarious that when they consolidated the two divisions, it's so Mac East top heavy. Yep. What, I mean, you, you've probably got the standing memorized, but what is it? Is it, are there two teams from the Mac West or from the Mac West? I say that with air quotes. That would qualify for the tournament? Yes. Toledo and Ball State? Yes, at this point, yes. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, now the thing is, though, where do you see the Chippewas? Well, I'll, t I'll, I'll ask you this. What's the Mac win total for CMU this year? Hmm. Now, the Ball State game's canceled for Saturday. If you want to give me an over-under of... Three and a half. I'll take the under. I don't think they win a game in the conference, personally. I, the only one I can see them winning is if they rescheduled the Northern Illinois game. And even then, the way NAU is held with Akron and with Miami, I don't think CBO can hang with them. I don't see it, personally. Uh, I think the only tiebreaker advantage there is is the fact that what the Central's two wins the conference have been against Eastern Michigan. Yeah. That's the reason I'm going to finish 12. Unless somehow Eastern gets a run here. But, like you mentioned, long layoffs. We're about to see CMU with this long layoff now play. Well, regardless of Monday, it'll be on Tuesday. And then i got to play Thursday. And then obviously Saturday's game. But it sounds a bit no-go. But, you got Miami and you got Buffalo. Miami needs to win to stay alive. Because they're right in the 7-8 spot right now. And Buffalo's trying to get the best seed they can. And try and get things mm -hmm. drilled before the tournament. So, uh. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how CMU finishes the season. I'm not very optimistic about it. Um, but, you know, that's kind of talk maybe for another day. We'll probably talk more when the season ends. But, you know, I think right now I think uh, it's not going to be – I don't think it could be a very productive end for the Chippewas in the win-loss right. column. But talk about football. Talk about basketball. Let's keep talking some baseball. What do you think, huh? I'm with it. I'm with it, man. So now we've talked we talk the AL East. Uh, we talked AL Central last week thanks to our uh, good buddy, Mr. Evan Petzl from the Detroit Free Press. Always a pleasure to have him on. Now let's finish up the American League. Let's talk the AL West. Are you ready? I am. So, first things first, let's talk about uh, probably the, the, the two heavyweights in that division, I feel. First, let's talk about uh, the trash can beaters themselves. Let's talk about the Houston Astros. Where do you see this team finishing? I think they're going to win the division. I do. I think they're going to win the division. Uh, Justin Verlander, I'm really excited to see him get back out there. 
uh, not having him on the mound last year. Uh, as somebody who grew up a very big Verlander fan, it was kind of a bummer when he missed the whole season with, with Tommy John. Um, so getting him back out there I think will be good. Zach Greinke I think still has a little bit more to prove. Um, and in that lineup, you know, the losing Springer hurts. But with Altuve, with Correa, they've still got a solid foundation, Bregman. So I think they edge the Athletics. I think the Athletics are going to give them a run for their money, though. Um, and then as you kind of go through the rest of this division, I think that there's a lot of spots up for grabs. But give me Houston 1. A uh, lot to like with that team still, but um, they're kind of falling into that trap where you know, they could be kind of starting to get labeled as, as underachievers just because the ceiling of this team used to be so high. Um, and the way that they've kind of played out, I mean, this is a team that should be winning more ranks. And, well, they've they won one, right? This core has won one. 17. Yeah. Th- this is a group that needs to flip the script or they're going to be falling into that. Like how the Washington Nationals used to be labeled where they win their division and then flame out in the playoffs. So, yeah, give me them one, but they've got to kind of, they've got to kind of flip the script come postseason time. So look at Houston's rotation. First of all, I'm not expecting Verlander back at all this season. I think you know, it's 18 month recovery, especially his age. Right. I don't think he'll pitch at and all. I keep forgetting that his surgery wasn't it wasn't in April. It was like July or August. Yes. So my bad on that one. I thought I blanked again. That's one error on Christian for the season. Yep. Um, Booted it. So, I look at Houston's rotation. Projected. Uh, Zach Granke, Frember Valdez, Lance McCullers, Jose Urquidy, and uh, Christian Javier. If I pronounce any of those wrong, so I'm sorry. I'm from a town with 700 people, 200 cows. When it comes to diverse names, I'm not that great yet. <laughs> um, in the lineup, you know, we have Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, Carlos Correa, Yuri Gurriel... Uh, I think you have Miles Straw and Jason Castro in there, too. I'm curious what Houston does. A lot of young pitching. And I'm always weary when it comes to young pitching. The lineup's going to be fine, I feel. The lineup's going to be fine. Uh, they still obviously have a lot of good young prospects in that pool still. Uh, we still got to see Forrest Whitley come up and make it mm-hmm. come up eventually. What happens this year, next year, I don't know. But time will tell with him. Uh, I'm not sold on them as the front runners to AL West yet. I'm not sold yet. I'll get to that when we talk about the second team. The Oakland A's. I look on the A's. You know, the pitching and the not having a defined ace is kind of what scares me. I think that they have options um, with Fires, who I loved Mike Fires when he was in Detroit. Uh, I thought he was awesome. The lineup is going to be all right, I think. Um because they still had that core of Matt Olson and um, Chapman. Mm-hmm. Matt Chapman. Uh, the mat squared, as I like to call them. The floor mats. Um, I like that. The floor mats I like. The floor mats. Um, you could also take the door mats. Anyway. Uh, or the bash mats. Anyway, wait, keep it going. Keep yeah, going. Yeah, No, I think they're going to be good. I do. I think that if they can get it to a race where it's three games back in August, then if you're the Astros, you start watching your back. Um, This is a team that definitely, if they get in, uh, they kind of showed what they could do last year when they they beat the White Sox. Um, This is a good squad. This is a good squad, and if they can nail down the pitching and losing, they lost Liam Hendricks, which which hurts, but they can figure out a bullpen, get that kind of solved with the pitching aspect of it. I think A.J. Puck is a chance to be pretty solid. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I'm going to I'm gonna pick the Astros one, but the Athletics are very close, too. Puck, yeah, baby, Puck, yeah. Puck, yeah. So, I look at Oakland. Um, obviously, Ramon Laureano is still at the outfield. Uh-huh. Mark Hanna, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Matt, uh, four mats. Uh, Sean Murphy, you know, catching prospect. There's a lot of hype around him being an absolute stud. We'll see Sean, how that goes. Sean Murphy bunting. <laughs> uh, we got Mitch Moreland, late signing. I'm excited to see what he can do. Maybe a DH, maybe rotating at first in there. 
Uh, Steven Piscotti has always been solid. Uh, a good addition I think is going to find on the radar was Elvis Andrews at shortstop. Yes. Just a solid player his whole career. He's been playing. He's played a big game since he's younger in his career, but uh, what Andrews can do, I'm excited for. Now, the pitching. Chris Passett, Jesus Lazardo, Frankie Montez, Sean Manaya, and Fires. The one player I'm watching in this division this year, because I mentioned every division has a player. I mentioned, you know, watch out for, like, Josh Donaldson. Mm-hmm. For me, in the AOS, watch out for Chris Bassett. He's the guy that came on late last year, put up solid numbers, had an ERA right around 3-5. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's kind of more ground ball type pitcher. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see because I think they've been lacking kind of an ace. You know, obviously, I thought Sean and I may have been the guy. Well, I'll carry around a couple years ago. Meh. Frankie Montes, great start. Got smacked for BEDs. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for that guy. You know, Chris Bassett may not be your, you know, straight to the top, top of the line kind of ace, but I think he's a guy you could throw on in game one of a big playoff series and go out there and be confident and get you a win. Now, why I didn't pick a winner of this division out of the game between these two is because it's coming down to who has the best bullpen. Bottom line. Both have good lineups. Both have rotations, I think. You could, you could edge Houston a little bit, but if Granky kind of keeps kind – of, Granky regresses and McCullers isn't quite all the way there after Tommy John's a couple years ago, that rotation and the balance, I feel, gets even in that battle. It comes down to a bullpen. So, you know what? I'm going to go opposite of you for the brand. I'm going to say Oakland takes this division. Okay. I think Oakland takes the division. Is it going to be tight? Oh, yeah, but it's going to be tight. But, again, best bullpen wins. And yeah. I feel Oakland and the day will have the best bullpen. Let's talk about a team that we don't really know about. They're in this weird transition phase. And that would be the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I believe it's still of Anaheim. But... Let's talk about the Angels. Um, on paper, they're actually not that bad. Right. Uh, but we've seen with them the past couple of years, just because you look good on paper doesn't mean you're going to win a damn thing. Mm-hmm. So, Christian, I'll ask you first. The Angels, what do you think? They missed out on Bauer. They missed out. They should have tried their, their darndest, and I'm sure they probably did, to get Trevor Bauer... Because I think that having that bona fide ace man would have helped so much. I'm a huge Mike Trout guy. I love watching the man play. Want to see him win a ring. <laughs> I'm not convinced that's going to happen with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California, United States. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just think it's a bummer, man. And, and this team will go where Trout takes them. But the problem is, is that he can't take them to the promised land on his own. Um. So, they're going to fight for a wild card spot. I don't see them getting one. Um, they'll probably finish in the upper half of the division. They'll probably finish third. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, there's, like you said, they look good on paper, but at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Yeah, my big thing with the Angels is can they stay healthy? If Justin Upton can stay healthy, he's a guy we've seen had 30 home runs yep. this season. He'll probably hit more about 250, 260, but he can get 30 bombs. Anthony Rendon, we know he's capable of. Mike Trout, say no more. Uh, David Fletcher, good leadoff guy. See how he does. Uh, Jordan Walsh, first baseman they brought up last year. He came out kind of ball, guns a blazing mm-hmm. for the Angels. You know, if he could be a productive first baseman for them with his bat, um, boy, that lineup in the middle gets uh, interesting quick. Uh, they signed Dexter Fowler to complete the outfield. They brought in Jose Iglesias. Yeah, I love Jose with. Iglesias. Obviously, uh, Angel Simmons is gone, Iglesias in. And obviously, what are we going to get off Shohei Otani? There's so much hype about him being the, the next, you know, Babe Ruth kind of guy who can pitch and hit well. Yeah. Just, we're not seeing it yet. A lot of things to go. But I love the pitching, too. Um, obviously, Otani's health is big. I know I mentioned, you know, the player to watch for in division, right? Mm-hmm. For this division, I have to go 1A and 1B. 1A is Chris Bassett. 1B for me would be Dylan Bundy. Yes, Dylan Bundy. I, yeah. A lot of hype around him at Baltimore. Obviously, the Orioles are where they're at now. He, Bundy came into LA this, this past season. Shortened season. Probably the best season of his career. Yeah. 
Now, whether can he sustain that for entire 162-game schedule as opposed to 60, we'll see. But if he can, holy smokes, the Angels at the least just found at the least their number two guy. Because everything around him with Andrew Heaney, Alex Cobb, Griffin Canning, watch out for him too, another young pitcher. And Jose Quintana would be interesting. They have a lot of guys here that if they can get the kind of the best versions of them, they'll have a, I think, a pretty good rotation. It's not going to be amazing, but in that division, it can, it can rank up there as one of the better divisions. I mean, better pitching rotations. Holy smoke, Mitch. Got to learn how to talk. Wow. Oh, that was rough. You get the point. But, you know, Angels, I don't see them really making a push this year. Um, obviously, if things go right, they could be flirting with a wild card spot. Yeah, this could be a division where I think the way it's set right now, this could be the te- this could be a division where you get three teams in the playoffs. I don't think you can see it out of the Central this year. I don't think you see that out of the AL East this year. As I say, biting my gritting my teeth uh. really really hard. If things don't go right for Toronto and all that jazz. Yeah, that, but, yeah, maybe. But it's. You know, there's a division I feel is most likely to do it. It's this division. But, you know, we'll see what we can see. But, let me get to the bottom of this division and, uh, we got a drop off. Yeah. A big drop off. So, instead of just, like, talking about what we're going to do, um, we'll talk Rangers. A. How many years away are they, do you think? And B, if Joey Gallo gets traded, where does he go? They're a little ways away. I'm thinking maybe two, three. I mean, they're not like Detroit level, but they're close. So I think two or three years away. And then in terms of the trade, Joey Gallo, if he does get traded, is going to go to a contender. He's going to go to a team that needs a power bat. And as I kind of scan through my brain... I mean, he's not going to go to the Yankees, but I think it would be hilarious if he did. He'd hit 50 home runs. Um, hmm. See, it's tough for me to make predictions like this because I'm always wrong. And it's always <laughs> a team out of left field that I don't think of. Um, so I will say he, he'll stay in the American League. That's where I'll go. He'll stay in the American League. That way teams can DH him if they want. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I've got kind of blanking on a specific team here um just because it'd be cool to see him go to Toronto I don't know if it'll happen but I think that throwing him in there with the mix of all the young guys they have would be neat so uh, I'm sorry I can't give you a specific answer I'm sure you've got one uh but they're definitely a little ways away from contending I'd say two or three years yeah, I look at Texas. Um, I think they were worse than that. I think they're about to start square one here. I think they tried last year to get guys like Lance Lynn and Corey Kluber to see if they could push for a wild card in a shortened season, and they just did not go to plan. Right. I think they're at a point now where they current, they're trying to just add to the farm system, which is uh, yikes. Uh, for me, with Gallo, I can see a you know a heavyweight contender in the AL, but I'm just thinking of this too, like. If Austin Riley gets off to a bad start for the Braves, because he could play third base and he has a cannon. Yes. Him and that lineup with Ozuna and Freeman and Albies crazy. and Acuna. Acuna. And Atlanta has the farm system to pull that deal off, too. Don't you forget. That could be a team in the end, all I can see really doing making that splash. Uh, American League. Uh, I think it'd be cool to see him with the White Sox. Because let's face it, the DH spot isn't quite set yet, is it? Everything else is set. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you just want to take over the American League, I mean, damn, how uh, that kind of bat. Uh-huh. But, you know, I'm going to see the Braves. I'll lock that in. That wouldn't surprise me. Could the Mets make somehow a splash because they need a third base help? Maybe. Uh, but... You know, I think it's hard to turn. I guess it's kind of hard to tell, but early on, also the Braves out there just for shits and gigs. Mm-hmm. Now we talk about Texas. Talk about Seattle. Uh, between the two teams, um, who's going to finish fourth? Who's going to finish fifth? And Seattle's got some interesting young pieces, but they're like what three years away still? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll go Texas four, Seattle five. 
I think that Seattle might have had something a couple of years ago, but you know Felix Hernandez fell off. He's now in Baltimore. That's just so weird to think about. The, the, I saw that picture of him on Twitter. That was kind of circulating. I was like, holy cow. Uh, yeah, I, I'll go Texas 4, Seattle 5, and I think if Seattle had a window, they missed it. So they're 2, 3. I think, like you said, with the young pieces, they have like the Kyle Lewises and that sort of thing. I think that they're in a better spot, but they're both still a couple of years away. Yeah, I thought, I'll probably take Seattle 4 and Texas 5. I think Texas, I don't think people realize what kind of situation Texas is in. Because let's face it, if you look at their prospect pool, it's like, you look at the roster, like the lineup, the rotation. With Seattle, at least you got some young guys to be excited about. Yes. Until like, maybe Jared Kalenic. You mentioned Kyle Lewis had a big year last year. You bring back big Maple and James Paxson. Mm-hmm. Excited to see him back there. Um, you know, I think it'll be tight. I don't think either team is going to win 70 games. I think you can think which one's going to be more over 100 losses, in my opinion. Although it wouldn't surprise me if Seattle pull out like 95 losses and that's it. But. Yeah, I think there's a big discrepancy between the top half of this division and the bottom half. Kind of like the AL Central is set. Mm-hmm. But the problem is with the division compared to the Central, I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite. I think right now, you look at it, Chicago's a clear-cut favorite in the Central. If you look at the East, I think we can assume the Yankees are a clear-cut favorite. We could think t- Toronto could sneak up. Tampa's going to be competitive. Boston, we'll see. Baltimore's at the bottom. But... This is the one division that I feel, if anyone's trying to predict it, this is the one that's going to create headaches in the AL what? The, the AL West will cause those headaches because we're talking about the Angels winning the division at the end of the year. I mean, are we really going to be that surprised? Mm-hmm. I'd say not really. At least, I'm not going to say not really based on the fact that we're talking Mike, a Mike Trout team yes, with Anthony yes. Rendon, But That's true. But, I mean, do we expect it? No. Is it possible? We're not going to rule out. Mm-hmm. Now let's just be finished with baseball talk. You know what time it is, right? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Are you ready? I am ready. You sure? Yes. Positive. Uh It's time for my favorite segment of the entire show. It's Can Christmas. This week's topic. Last week you did good, although I gave you a free pass to bonus question. I guess I'll give it to you because I definitely gave you two shots. So what am I right now? A lot better than you should be. (laughs) Works for me. So, So now we're dealing with since we talked about the quarterbacks and stuff, the 2016 quarterback class and stuff, this, this, this week's Can Christian Hang will be about the 2017 NFL Draft. Christian, are you ready? Yep. So, question number one. In the first round of the 2017 NFL Draft, three quarterbacks were taken in the top 12. Name the three quarterbacks. Mitch Trubisky. Correct. Deshaun Watson. Correct. I can't believe you're blanking on the last one. Wow. No, it's... Is it Patrick Mahomes? I don't know. You tell me. It's Save Patrick Mahomes, yes. Correct. I, I thought he got taken 13 for some reason. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, all right. So, question number two. That 2017 class, in my opinion, was just absolutely um, wholly loaded. Yeah. In the first round, there were six Pro Bowl defensive players. Name the six players. All six. Okay, this is going to be kind of tough. Uh, Miles Garrett. Correct. Um, Solomon Thomas? Incorrect. Never has made a Pro Bowl. I'll give you nine shots. Okay, so... Uh, you have two guesses and one right. Boy, oh boy, I'm trying to think here. Um, so it went Cleveland, Chicago, San Fran... Worst trade-up ever. Yeah, that was a really bad trade. Um, shoot. I'm trying to think of some. Marshawn Lattimore? Correct. Uh, okay. Six guesses left to get four players. Um, the dude from the Bills. Edmonds from the Bills. Incorrect. Oh, shoot. He was driving 18. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, five guesses. Marlon Humphrey? Correct. Okay. Four guesses to get three players. Um, Good luck. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to go team by team and see. Was TJ Watt drafted that year? 
Tell me your answer. TJ Watt. Correct. Yes. Two players left. You have three guesses. Okay. Um, and good luck, because I think one you're not even going to get. Let's see here. Uh, I don't think the Steelers had two first-rounders that year. You are correct. Okay, so that takes off one of the names I was thinking of. Um, no, it wasn't him. He's way too old for that. Um, you can think out loud. It's okay. The fans appreciate that. No, I was thinking of Khalil Mack, but he's way too old for that. He was three years before, so that's yes. not old, buddy. Oh. Anyway. Um, you can tap out if you want. It's okay. No, I don't want to tap out. I have two guesses left. If I would have gotten my first couple wrong, I would have. But um, Was Shaq Barrett? Is Shaq Shaquille Barrett? Incorrect. Okay. Um, you know, two guesses. You got to get them right. Shoot. So if you miss the next one, it's axed. A lot of pressure. Just a little bit. Uh, 2017. Um, shoot. I'll just go out on a limb here um, as I scan my brain one last time. Uh, no. Uh, I thought I had one, but I guess I don't. Um, I know the Lions took Jared Davis. He was not a pro bowler. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. That's not the question. I know. I was just, I'm, I'm running through my brain. Uh, for my last guess, we'll just do... First round picks, 2017. Shoot. It wasn't. No, Bosa was the year after, right? The year before and year after. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. We need an answer sooner, though. But. Yeah, I got you. Um. Uh, shoot. Uh, Zedarius Smith. That is. Incorrect. Yeah, that's yeah. So the six Pro Bowlers were, <clears throat> you had Marshawn Lattimore, mm-hmm. Barton Humphrey, Miles Garrett, T.J. Watt. You were you were right track with Buffalo, Tre'Davious White. Tre'Davious. Okay. Yeah. And the last one, and I can't even get this one, Jamal Adams. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you mentioned Lions picks, right? Yep. For question number three, <clears throat> who was Lions second round pick in 2017? Second round pick in 2017. Can you tell me where they picked? I don't have the pick number here. Okay. It was middle of the pack because they were. Decent. That's they made the playoffs. Lots of Seattle. All right, the second round pick. Because the Lions has such a great rack track record second round picks. Abdullah was sixteen, or was it? You tell me. Amir Abdullah. Incorrect. Tease Tabor. Tease Tabor. Remember him? Yup. That's unfortunate. Ready for the bonus question? I am. Let's try and sell this. So, that draft class was wicked at running backs, right? That class has produced not one, not two, not three, not four, but seven Pro Bowl running backs. Name all seven Pro Bowl running backs to come for the 2017 NFL draft. Holy cow. Seven. There were seven. I'll give you a hint. One of them, one of them was eighth overall to the Carolina Panthers. Kirsten McCaffrey. That is one. Same name. If I can get that. Uh, Alvin Kamara. Correct. Mm. Aaron Jones. Correct. And they could get that one. Um. Got three. Need four more. Seven. All pro running backs. Pro Bowl, not all pro. Pro Bowl running backs. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of a difference there. Let's see here. Trying to... Ezekiel Elliott? No, he's 2016. He's 2016. He's 2016. I caught myself. I caught myself. Um, Saquon was 19. Uh, Shoot, I thought I was going to be on a roll there. If I can get four, I'd be happy. Uh, Tariq Cohen? Correct. I think you get that one. Wow. Um, the other three, though, you will kick your butt. What? The other three, you will kick your butt. What if you don't get them? 
Leonard Fournette? Not a pro bowler. Okay. Um, didn't he get taken super high in that draft, though? Fourth. That's right. All uh, right. We get one more shot. If yeah. you get it right, you keep going. If not, i got to ax you. Uh-huh. I'll just tap out now. I don't want to waste any more time. So, <clears throat> first pro bowler, eighth overall pick, Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, and Terry Cohen. Cohen was a fourth-round pick. Jones, fifth-round. Kamara was a third-round pick. Second-round pick by the Minnesota Vikings. Dalvin Cook. Third-round pick by the Kansas City Chiefs, now with the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland. And finally, a third-round pick for a team I just ranted about. James Conner? Dang it. So, one for three on the regular round. That's first one, First one I got right. It's a tough shot. didn't. But, hey, I had to come at you hard this last yeah, one. Yeah, no, huh? that's all right. I, I, I welcome a challenge. All right, so our question of the week. Who is not an athlete that really kind of sucked in the sports? We're talking like broadcasters, reporters, economists. Who was the guy for you? I have two. Okay. Um, one is a little more local, and one is um, uh, national mainstream. Sorry, I was playing on the word. Uh, the first one, Don Chino from Central Michigan. Rest in peace. I'm a local kid. Um, I'm from about 45 minutes away, and... You know, my family, we never, we've, I mean, I've only been to the big house once. I've been to Spartan Stadium a couple times because my brother goes to school there. But we weren't making the trek to the big house, the Spartan Stadium, Ford Field. Um, when we wanted to go to a game, we came here. Yeah. And so when I, in my first game, I think I was six. It was Dan LaFever's first career game. I remember they played Boston College, Mitch. Who was the quarterback for Boston College that year? That was Matt Ryan. It was Matt Ryan. You're absolutely right. Don't play me, child. Don't play me. And it was here in Kelly Shorts, which is unheard of nowadays to bring yeah. a quarterback of Matt Ryan's caliber here. Um, but, yeah, and then once I saw the game, I was fascinated with Lefevre and, and the guys that were playing. So I started tuning into the games on the radio and, and Don Chato and, and Brock Gutierrez. I love listening to Brock, too. Um which is why it's so weird for me to be at all these games now, was it used to be a very integral part of my Saturday, listening to Don and Brock. And I loved how the two would go back and forth. Uh, Don with his straightforward, just, um, you know, description. Uh, Every once in a while he'd be kind of sarcastic, and then Brock just firing at him with this kind of, you know, stereotypical offensive line, football brain, um, very to the point. And so they had a really good dynamic, and it was really unfortunate with what happened with Don last winter. Uh, I know I was hit pretty hard, as a many a person in the Central Michigan community was. He's such a great guy. Um, and then my other one's Gus Johnson. <laughs> Gus. And I know that's kind of a typical answer, uh, but Gus is just so exciting. And he, was call- he used to call all the big games. Um, and... You know, I'm I'm blanking on the the guy from ESPN's name. Stuart who, Scott. Who know that he used to do the Rose Bowl, and he retired. Brett Musburger. Yes. Yes. Musburger was the other one. Him and Gus Johnson, just because they were called on the big games. You know, I loved listening to Musburger and and Gus Johnson. Gus is still around. Musburger, I don't think does anything anymore. I think he was doing radio for the Raiders last night. Now. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. But yeah. Um, those would be the three guys I just thought of Musburger now. That's why I said two to begin with. But you, th- those guys were just the soundtrack to Saturday afternoons. Yeah, so for me, it's no doubt the greatest commentator of all time, Joe Buck. What a legend. No, I'm just kidding. I was, I, I'm just kidding. I wasn't sure if you were being serious or not. No, 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 no. Uh, for me, um, I could mention a lot of guys. I could mention Al Michaels, Mario Pemba, Ken Daniels. Uh, but for me, one guy sticks out, and that's Doc Emmerich. And I don't think he, never, he will never get enough credit for what he did, what he does. Uh, he's retired now. Mm-hmm. The voice of hockey for the longest time on NBC. Um, you know, I remember watching that uh, 21 finals between Boston and Vancouver. A seven-game slugfest. Just absolutely brutal. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends at the time. My parents were going through a divorce and just soaking in that finals, watching uh, Tim Thomas. Michigan journeyman. Well, kind of the same Michigan journeyman. When the cons might just dominate mm-hmm. those finals. Just hearing... And the way Doc talks, too. Just his his verbs. Just the way he describes, like, a, 
a shovel shot, you know, or a pitchfork, or like a ricochet, a waffle boarded. You know, just the way he was animated about the game and just using verbs and just adjectives and adverbs, just the way that no one else did. Yeah. It's just, it was incredible. Not to mention his voice is just amazing, too. Like, it, it puts you to sleep, but in, like, the best way possible. Like, it puts you in a comfortable state of mind. It's like, when games were on NBC, I was watching. Didn't matter who played. If Doc was calling the game, my ass was in the chair. That's super cool. I'm watching. But now he's retired. Mike Tirico, definitely. Tirico's good. Man, you know, that's the guy I never thought I wanted to hear call a hockey game, but I'm glad he's calling yeah. hockey games. But he's good. Yeah, but yeah, Bob. But the but the greatest thing, um, the greatest thing I ever heard, heard Doc Emmerich say is, <clears throat> and for the fourth time in eleven years, the Detroit Red Wings are Stanley Cup champions. Greatest thing he ever said, in my opinion. Biased, but you know, just the way he bring into a game was just incredible. So I know he's nobody's not listening, but I know I'm sorry, there's no way he's listening, but Doc, thank you. But alright, any final thoughts before we um wrap up this episode? Yeah, I wanna get your quick thoughts on some things. Oh, forgot about that segment entirely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whoopsie poopsie, my bad. It's, so, it's a Monday. My first one for you, just kind of a broad one to start here. Spring training starting. We talked to Evan about the Tigers, but we never really got to hear your take. Who's one prospect who you think has an outside shot of reaching the major leagues at some point this year that you're excited to see? Oh, he was on point with Franklin Perez, I thought. Yeah. Honestly, was. But, man, put me on the spot. Uh, to actually come up and play this year. Um... You know, I've heard a lot about him. He's probably a bullpen guy, but I want to see if Alex Fiedel finally makes a big league roster. There's a lot of hype out of him coming out of Florida when they're making the big runs. They have Polar Bear P and that whole crew. But Alex Fiedel is a guy I'm really looking forward to see play. Uh, next topic, we didn't get a chance to talk about this on the last podcast because it happened, gee, I think an hour after we stopped recording. Blake Griffin shut down. Um, as the team explores a trade for him, uh, do you think they get a trade, or is this going to become a buyout situation? At this point, you know, I think wait and see. I'm leaning right now toward buyout more than trade. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, I love this too. Thought. At first, I think like, the timing was weird, but then I realized, like, the Pistons at one point had two number one overall picks, and they're both about to be gone. Think about that hard enough. The 08 and 09 first overall picks. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think about. I mean, obviously, their careers are where they're at now. We're talking about 2020, 2021. Yeah. But you talk about all the hype that was around Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin during college. The explosiveness that Derrick Rose had and just the the dominant trade that Griffin had. But obviously, obviously their knees just couldn't hold up. Mm -hmm. That's unfortunate. But, yeah, I think Griffin's more of a buyout candidate at this point. And what happens, he'll sign somewhere cheap with some contender. Like, it wouldn't shock me he went back to L.A. at yeah. all. It wouldn't shock me he went to Brooklyn or somewhere. I'll say I'll say he'll go somewhere a hell of a lot warmer than he treat Michigan. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yep, my third and final one for you. Just kind of another broad topic. Hockey. Um, standout performances from the week. What uh, What struck you from the last week in hockey? Well, I think New Jersey might be starting to get on a roll here, which would be uh, something I didn't expect entirely. Uh, you know, I think Nashville, kind of being where they are right now, kind of caught me off guard. Uh, the Blackhawks have surprised love and piss out of me. Uh, their goaltending situation I thought was going to be such a problem for them, but Lincoln has stepped in and played amazing for what they needed. Malcolm Subban's good number two for him as well. Now they're sitting on the top of that division, which I thought – I thought we were talking about them when he tried for 7-8. and eight. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden we're talking about them, even without John the Taves and Kirby Doc. we're talking about them. we got to consider them a playoff contender at this point, which is a Wings fan is something I don't want to talk about. But I digress. But, you know, the Hawks caught me off guard. Um, the North Division, the Canadian Division, still, in my opinion, the most enjoyable division to watch at this point. The West Division, that's Probably the one division that's a crapshoot at this point. Like, you know, Colorado and Vegas and St. Louis will be the top contenders. That's the biggest discrepancy between top and bottom, which mm-hmm. I think we knew going in was going to be the case, but I think now it's just kind of solidified. So, 
Yeah, and also I'm a Gabriel for MVP, but I don't think that should come as a surprise to anybody. And if that is, I would suggest moving from living under a different rock. <laughs> well, those are my three topics for you for this week. All right, so Christian, now I can practically say this. <sighs> Anything else we'll talk about before we wrap up this episode? No, sir. All right, before we wrap up, I'm going to give a um, big shout-out to my little brother Ethan uh, over the weekend. Got engaged. That's awesome. Got engaged. That is awesome. Yeah, uh... The chick is crazy enough to deal with him, apparently. <laughs> I digress. No. Uh, That's great, though. That's great. Yeah, but for Ethan and Kylie, I'm happy for you both. Congratulations. Um, yes, remember, Kylie, you're stuck with him for life now. Good <laughs> luck with that. That's not my problem anymore, but. Nope, I can't. No, but honestly, um, couldn't be happier to gain a better sister in law down the road, even though she's. Cool, even though she is a Cowboys fan. Which is rough. Sometimes you can just cut your losses, though, if they're cool enough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, you know, you know she takes. She 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 takes a verbal beatdown I give her for that old Cowboys fan. Let's try with grace. So I'll give her That's credit funny. there. So, yep, that wraps up the episode. Again, we're sorry about last week going about the same angle as the Disney Pixar movie. But when yeah. you get a chance to talk about baseball, we do. I think this will be probably known more about the normal length of being about 45 minutes to an, a little over an hour. But, you know, we're college kids who want to talk sports. What do you expect? Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. But until next time, for Christian Boer, I'm Mitch Fosberg. Keep your stick in the ice.